Hey, as we get to celebrate communion today, it's such a such an amazing thing. And I actually had the, the incredible privilege yesterday of talking to a guy. And, and and as we were talking, he just asked the question. He's like, so "What's what's the deal with communion? All right, why do we do this?" And he grew up going to church, and, and he's saying, like, "I never quite understood the whole thing." And so just being able to talk with him and explain that, that God has given us the, this thing that we do as a tool to help us remember. Remember the, the incredible truth of the gospel. That, that we're, we're broken people. We're people with, with a whole list of failures and flaws. And yet God loved us. And he went to the cross to rescue us so that we could be made right with him, that we could have life together with him. And so we get to celebrate communion as, as a reminder of that, a reminder that it's not about me and my perfect anything, but it's, it's all about Jesus and what he accomplished for me. And so there's nothing special about the, the, the cups that we have, right? Here in this room, we've got... These little cups and they're stacked. There's a little bit of bread and there's some juice. And we've got cups with lids on so we don't spill the juice. But then after we're done, everybody will put the lids on. It sounds like little applause in the room. And there's nothing fancy or, or sacred about these things in and of themselves. But as a church, as we do this, it's a moment for us to remember and reflect. And it becomes this sacred moment. And it's an invitation for any and all of us who have put our hope in Jesus to, to pause and to remember what Jesus did on our behalf and be reminded of the hope we have because of what Jesus did for us. And so we get to celebrate that together. We get to be reminded of that incredible truth. It's also an opportunity for us to reflect on our relationship with God. Is, is there things that are out of line? Is there something going on in my life that I, I just need to talk to God about? I need to, I need to make things right with God. I need to confess sin that I've been maybe putting off. It's an opportunity for us to do that. We're going to take some time here in a moment just of, of silence. It may feel awkward. Uh, it may be just a time where it, it just, it, the room's quiet. But it's an opportunity for you to, to, to talk to God and say, is, is there stuff that I need to deal with? that can confess and make sure that my relationship with God is right. But it's also an opportunity for us to then look outward and look at how are my relationships with other people? Am I, am I doing all right with people? Or are there things I need to apologize for? Or is there something I need to confess to someone else and make right? And if there is and, and it's something that you need to do and you can't do it this morning, then, then maybe just let communion pass and, and, and celebrate communion again with us next time. But it's an opportunity to make things right and recognize that, that we're saved not because of who we are and we've got everything together, but because of what Jesus has done. And so I want to do that this morning. We're, we're going to just have some time where I'm, I'm going to stop talking. And I want to encourage you during this time, just, just bow your head if that helps. Close your eyes so you, you're not distracted by anything else and, and just spend some time talking to God. Maybe it's a time of just worship saying, man, Jesus, thank you again for what you did for me. I didn't deserve it you love me. Let's spend some time reflecting together and then we'll celebrate communion together.
1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, The Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Man, what, what an incredible reminder. What an incredible promise that it's not about us, but it's about what Jesus did. And we can remember that. We can worship him. We can come back to this point again and again and again and be reminded of the goodness of our God. Let's wrap up our communion time just in prayer, thanking God again for the gift that we have. Jesus, we worship you. And we thank you again that, that when we reflect on our, our own shortcoming, we're reminded of how much we need you. Because we're honest with ourselves about all our shortcomings, that the, the, the cross is so much greater. And so we worship you. Jesus, we thank you that you give us this time to be reminded again and again of your goodness to us. And the hope that we have because of who you are. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So have, have you ever wished you had a do-over? Have you ever been like so confident of something? You're like, I've got this. And then you fail miserably. Hopefully that's not like a preemptive to this sermon. That I'm confident that this is going to go well and it bombs. But, but have you ever been in that moment? Right? I know I have. I, I even just... <laughs> Thinking back to the past month, there's been lots of times where I, I wish I had an opportunity to, to redo. But, but I can think of all those times. In particular, I, I can think of, not in my own life, but my brother's, which is easier to story to tell because he's not here. I mean, I'll see him later this week, which is great. I'm going to go see my family, and so I'll see him, and we'll talk then. But for your benefit, I'll tell you what happened to him when we were younger. We were hiking one time, as my family often did in the mountains, and, and we were, one of those points where we were coming down into a, kind of a valley, and there's a stream in the bottom, and the bridge had gotten washed out. There was like a little, like a little footbridge thing that was kind of destroyed, but there were rocks there that you could walk across, but it wasn't that big of a creek, and so as my four other siblings and my parents and I are walking across, my other brother's kind of looking at me like, I got this. I, it's not that I can jump this. Right? 
It's not that wide of a creek. He's a good athlete. He's got it. Right? And he just kept, so he just stood there and watched us all as we kind of like did the whole helping each other balance and stepped across the rocks. Because nobody wants wet shoes on a long hike. And he just watches us all. And we cross. Then he makes sure that we're all watching him for his moment of glory. And he runs and he jumps. And he made it a foot short. And that one foot, I mean, it wasn't like he went, you know, you've seen those videos where people just completely go. It was just his foot went in. But we were reminded of it the rest of that hike as he walked and squish, squish. Right? And we made sure he knew it. But on that hike, he continued to talk about, man, he had, he was like, oh, and he, he explained why, right? It was, the, it was his approach, the rocks were, I mean, he, I mean, he probably could have, but he was so confident and he needed a do-over. Have you ever been to that point? Yeah, I know I, know I have. Well, that's, that's part of what we're going we're gonna to look at today because we're, we're in 2 Peter and Peter is a guy who needed a do-over. Right, because Peter was the best. He was the, the confident front man of the disciples. Right, he was the one. He always had the quickest response. He was he was sure of himself. He knew what was going on. He was bold. But then he messed up. He messed up big. Right, because at Jesus' trial, Peter flinched. Right, the boldest of the disciples, the leader, the most certain, the headstrong one, he flinched. Because while Jesus, the Messiah, the one that, that, that Peter was so confident in, that he put his trust in, and he boldly declared, you are the Messiah, you're the promised one. While Jesus is on trial, Peter flinched. And, and he, didn't, he didn't just flinch, he buckled in the face of a servant girl. Right, Peter, this, this brash fisherman who spent his life working hard for a living, all of a sudden is confronted with a servant girl by a campfire, and he buckled. You can read this story in, in Luke 22, and, and it says that when Peter, like, when this, this little servant girl asked him, like, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter's like, no, 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 he, he denies him. This is the third time he's denied Jesus. When he does that, his eyes meet Jesus across the courtyard. And Peter remembers that just the night before, Jesus had told him, this is going to happen. And what was Peter's response to Jesus saying, hey, you're going to deny me? Peter's like, no. Like everybody else, sure. Yeah, I believe James and Peter and those guys, yeah, they're going to buckle, but not me. I would never do that. And yet here he is facing a servant girl at a campfire, and he buckles. And in that moment, he's crushed. And it says that he ran out into the street and he wept. And he was crushed by his own betrayal and failure. Have you ever needed a do-over? So Peter did. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. If you find yourself at this point where you're like, I need a redo, I'm a failure, there is hope for you. There is hope because the story goes on. 
Right? Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried. But then he rose again. And, and when he's risen again, he comes and he, he, he sees the, the disciples and he talks to them. And when we get to the end of John, in John chapter 21, Peter's with the other disciples. They're fishing and Jesus is on the shore. And when Peter realizes it's Jesus, what does he do? He's back to being Peter. He dives in the water and he swims. He doesn't wait for the boat. He goes to Jesus. And Jesus loves him and restores him. He reinstates him. Peter, who failed him miserably, who buckled, Jesus gives him a redo. And he asks him repeatedly, Peter, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my lambs. He he reinstates Peter. He restores him. And so Peter does just that. Once restored, he does what Jesus asked him to do. If you've been around hope for the past couple of years, we, we spent time two years ago going through the book of Acts and reading the stories of the disciples. And Peter's one of the key stories, right? One of the key characters in that. Acts chapter 2, Peter, who's now been restored by Jesus, been reinstated, stands up boldly and preaches the gospel, and 5,000 people one day are added to the church. And then in those first couple chapters, multiple times that Peter finds himself in front of the religious leaders being beaten and imprisoned, and Peter's like, I can't stop talking about Jesus. I don't care what you do to me. Peter's the one who follows the servants to Cornelius' house, a a Gentile, a Roman, and teaches them the truth of the gospel. And when he sees the Holy Spirit change their lives, Peter baptizes them, the first Gentile believers. As we continue through the story we've talked in the last couple weeks, Peter then became one of the cornerstones, the pillars of the church in Jerusalem, and led. Peter got a redo. He was a redeemed man. But he wasn't perfect. He was still Peter. Right? We see when, when, when God reveals him to in a dream and says, eat this, and Peter's like, nope, no God, I'm not going to do it. Right? Have you ever done that, told God no? Well, Peter did too. It's still Peter, the guy who cares what people think. And so when he's hanging out with some Gentile believers and then some Jewish people show up, all of a sudden Peter's like ashamed and like shuns the Gentiles because he cares about what these Jewish believers think. He cares more about them than the truth, and so Paul has to rebuke him. And still Peter, he's screwed up again and again. He needed more than just the one redo. So he was still a man, but he was a redeemed man who was obedient to God and used for his purpose. I think there were probably lots of times in Peter's life where he looked back and just kind of shook his head and laughed. It's like, man, I was, probably, I was an idiot. So self-confident, man, I, I had it all wrong. So now at the end of his life, we see, we see Peter again with a choice to make. Peter's in prison Facing execution, does he flinch this time around? No, he doesn't. Last time it was in the face of a servant girl. This time it's in the face of Emperor Nero and the whole Roman Empire. 
Hey, this is Nero, who we can still read about in history books, is the guy who's crazy enough to probably write, light his own capital on fire and blame other people just so he could kill people. Hey, this guy who, who is famous for executing people in creative ways, this guy who is this mad emperor, and Peter stands before him and says, I, I, I'm going to take whatever you throw my way. But what does he do is his last, <laughs> with his last breath? Well, one of the things he does is he writes the book of 2 Peter. And I think as Peter's in prison facing execution, knowing that his time is coming, he probably thought back to that time on the lakeshore when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? If you do, care for my sheep. Feed my lamb. So what does Peter do? He writes this book to feed the sheep and to care for the lambs. And he doesn't flinch. He doesn't buckle. So maybe the, the thing, we've, we've got more that we're going to get into as we actually start to open up the Bible and look at Peter, Second Peter. But, but maybe the thing that you need to hear this morning is this. That God's in the business of restoring things. God is a redeemer. And maybe you find yourself broken. Maybe you feel like you've been tossed aside. You're a screw-up and a failure. God's not done with you yet. If you feel like you don't belong somewhere because you are messed up, you belong here. Because the good news of the gospel is that God restores and redeems. Look at Peter. Look at Paul. Look at King David. Look at at all these characters in the Bible. No one was perfect. We all needed a Savior. I want you to know that, that the God who created everything loves you. It has a purpose for you. And whatever problem you're facing, whatever, whatever you feel that you are lacking, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope that we have. So let's, let's look at this book of 2 Peter. If you're using a chair Bible, you can turn to page 980. Um, Second Peter is found conveniently right after First Peter. But Peter writes this book. He writes this letter to the church to, to encourage them, to care for them. And, and there's a couple main things. We're going to do just a quick overview of this book, and then we're going to really dive into one thing in particular. But in, in this book, I think there's three things that Peter tries to accomplish in this book. And the first one is, is knowing that like Peter, who's in prison, there are lots of Christians around that were feeling discouraged, that were facing persecution, that were facing death, and were discouraged and disheartened. And so Peter wants to remind them that the gospel is true. The good news of the gospel, the hope that he had staked his life on, that these other people had staked their life on, he's like, it is true. And he reminds them from his own personal experience. He says, I was there. I remember being on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw Jesus glorified. He reminds them that he saw the resurrected Lord. He's an eyewitness to the hope that we have. And he wants to remind the world it's true. The gospel is true. Secondly, he wants to warn them to be careful that there are false teachers. 
And so he warns the, the, the flock, he warns the be on guard, be careful, because people are going to come and take the truth of the gospel and twist it for their own purpose. They're going to make it about them trying to, to, to be the, the ones in power, that they're the ones in control. It's all about them. Or, or maybe they're going to try to add to the good news of the gospel that it's all about Jesus, and they're going to start to add all these extra requirements. He says, beware of false teachers. We need to know God's word and be on guard. And he reminds the church of that. And finally, he reminds them that Jesus is coming back. And at a point where Peter himself was, was dying and knew that, man, he, he held on to this hope that Jesus was going to come back before he died. He had this hope, and, and, and it hadn't come true yet, but he wanted to remind people, it doesn't matter if I die, it doesn't matter if you die, Jesus is who he says he is, and he is coming back, his promises are true. And there's two parts of that. I think that reminder brings us two things. First off, it's the hope that we have, right? This is the hope that we have beyond the grave. That's not about us. It's the good news of the gospel that Jesus is God, that Jesus died in our place, that he died, buried, rose again, and he is coming back. That's the hope that we have. It's not about me. It's about that. That's my hope, and I can cling to that. But secondly, Peter's reminder that Jesus is coming back is this encouragement to be ready. Jesus is coming back, so are you ready? And that's, that's the thing that we're going to talk a little bit about is, is quite, what, what does it mean to be ready? And that sounds like a really churchy thing to say, right? Jesus is coming back, be ready. What, what does that mean? Like, am I supposed to like be at all times like dressed and ready to go, right? Like, am I like a firefighter? The bell goes off and I got to like suit up and go hop. Like, what do I need to do? What does is, what is being ready look like? So we're going to look at that. What does it mean that, that, that we need to be ready? So I want you to, to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're looking at your notes, it says 1 Peter, and it's really easy to fix. You just take a pencil and you make it a 2. All right? If you're looking on your phone, just use a Sharpie. Just kidding. Don't do that. Especially if you're watching at home and you're a kid and your mom's not watching, don't write on the computer. All right, but 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Let me read this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us this, His very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The hope that we have that Jesus is coming back, that we want to be ready. So what does it look like to be ready? It's this idea that we're living out our faith. 
in this passage in 1 Peter, there's, there's three things I want to pull out of it. And I think the starting place of, of being ready is this idea that, that we have all we need. Peter writes that he's given us everything we need for a godly life. We have it all already. And so the beautiful thing about being a follower of Jesus is we start with the end in mind. We start finished. Because the good news of the gospel is it's not about how good you are. Right? We've been saying that over and over again, even as we celebrate communion again. It's not about my accomplishments. It's not about my ability to live up to some perfect standard. We're a church of misfits, of people who haven't done our life perfect. But the good news of the Gospels, it's not about that. It's about what Jesus did for us. I think one of the, the, beautiful, one of the beautiful pictures of that is, is Jesus' crucifixion. He's, he's, he's crucified. There's a thief being crucified on either side of him, being executed. And we don't know much about either of these two guys other than they both deserved it. Like they had done something. They had done enough under Roman law to deserve execution. All right, so I don't know whether they're murderers, thieves, who knows. But two guys who had earned execution, being executed on either side of Jesus. And as Jesus is being killed, the crowd's kind of mocking him. And one of the guys joins right in, is mocking Jesus, like, hey, save us all. And this other thief looks at him and says, do you have no shame? Do you have no fear? This man did nothing wrong. We deserve this. He doesn't. And then he looks at Jesus and says, when you come to your kingdom, remember me. This is some thief, probably didn't have great education, definitely wasn't an eloquent man. And in his moment of desperation, what did he do? He turned to Jesus. And in very ineloquent words, says, I believe you are who you say you are. When you get to wherever you're going, remember me. And he put his trust in Jesus. And what does Jesus say to this man? It's like, oh, you've got some work to do. Hey, can we just pause this execution really quick? This guy's got to go and repay some things. There's some people, he needs to apologize to his mom, first of all, and, and to some other people. He needs, to, he needs to atone for some wrongs that he's done. His church, church attendance is lacking. He needs to do some things there. I don't think he's memorized anything. No, what's Jesus' response? Today you will be with me in paradise. I the incredible good news of the gospel is this, that, that Jesus did it all. And so when we put our hope and trust in Him, that's it. It is finished. We have everything that we need. We are made right with God in that moment because of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. But we also start at the, the beginning, knowing that we have all we need in, in this incredible promise that God didn't leave us on our own. When Jesus left, he promised that, that he would send a helper, that the Holy Spirit lives in us. 
Galatians 2.20 says, Christ lives in me. And, and we're reminded in John 15 that Jesus says, I am the vine, he who remains in me will bear much fruit. That there's this promise that God is with us. That we don't have to worry about doing life on our own because we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. As followers of Jesus, we have everything we need. We have been saved to a new life. We are new creations and God lives in us. And so as we start, we start with that in mind that, that we're set. The hope of the gospel is complete in Christ. So then it'll sound like I'm contradicting myself, but we get to the second point of today and, and is that we need to take our, another step. Because after saying that, in, in, in that passage right after Peter says, God has given us everything for life and godliness. Then he goes on to say, he's like, add to your faith this. Add to your faith this. Add to your faith this. Take another step. Right? Add to your faith goodness, then knowledge, then self-control, godliness, mutual affection, love. You're not there yet, so keep working at it. Right? Which, which seems like a contradiction to what we just said, that, that faith is it. Right? It's this tension that we wrestle with in Scripture, right? Because on one hand, we have Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that says, it's, By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. You have no right to boast about anything because it's not you. It's what Jesus did. Faith is everything. And then like we talked about a couple weeks ago when we read through James. James 2, 17 says, Faith without works is dead. Right? Then we're, we're to add to our faith. And, but it's not this contradiction, right? It's not like, well, faith is all you need, but you need to do this stuff too. Right? It's that faith is all you need, and when we live out our faith, it shows in the way that we live our life. That our works, the things that we do, demonstrate the faith that we have. We live out our faith in increasing measure. And so Peter challenges the church. He challenges us, add to your faith. And it's a list that, that seems, it's daunting. Add to your faith goodness. How many of us are good? We got that one down yet? No? Knowledge. Do you know everything you need to about who God is? Self-control, godliness, mutual affection. It's this exercise, this practice of flexing our muscles, of growing in our relationship as we understand more of who God is and what he's called us to be as we walk in obedience with him. If you look through that list, it, it, it looks a lot like the fruit of the Spirit that we read in Galatians. Right? This is God working in us to refine us, to grow in our faith. And here's where I want to spend the bulk of our time here. And the, I think the important piece is as we remember those things, that we, we have all we need. And we're told to make, take another step. What's the next step of obedience as I follow Jesus? How do I continue to need to grow as I follow him, as I become imitator of Christ? Right? Because as we claim to be followers of Jesus, then that means that our, our footsteps should be matching his. Right? That in increasing measure, my life should look more like Jesus. And I want to get to this point of this. Why? Why do we add to our faith? Why do we continue to grow? Why do we follow Jesus so that we're more like him? And I think this is something that, that as Christians we often screw up. Because as we start to follow Jesus and we, we start to become more like him and obedient and, and starting to learn more than what do we do, all of a sudden pride creeps in and we're all just like, man, look how good I am. 
I'm so much like Jesus, I'm, I'm better than you. All right, come, come to my church, we're all perfect. All right, look around the room, look at all of us perfect people, those joining us online. Man, we've got it all together. Look at my life, it's perfect. No. Right, we start to get this, this puffed up pride and knowledge because, man, I've been following Jesus for so long. Man, God loves me because look at my life, I've got it all together. No. It's not that we become smarter or better people or better Christians. It's something that Peter fell into the trap of, right? He had to be corrected on. I've needed to be corrected on this too. I'm a sinful human being who fails, and I need Jesus. I didn't need Jesus just to save me. I need him to save me daily and rescue me. And so why do we add to our faith? It's not about prestige. It's not about status. It's, it's, it's that, we be, that we become effective. <coughs> Look what Peter wrote. They, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. We want to be effective and productive. And it's the same trouble we keep running into. It's, it's the thing the disciples wrestle with as they're heading to Jerusalem. Jesus knows he's going to Jerusalem to die for them. And what are they busy doing? They're arguing about status. They get their moms involved. Right? Who gets to be number two in Jesus' kingdom? I want, to be, I want to be your sidekick. I want to be the one. I want power and prestige in your kingdom. And what's Jesus doing? He said, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. My kingdom is going to be different than the world. In the world, it's all about status and power and prestige and who you know. In my kingdom, that's not how it is. And he turns it upside down. It's a backwards kingdom. Jesus is like, my kingdom's different. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you learn to be the servant of all. And so what's the purpose of growing in our faith? Romans 8.29 says, it's that we are conformed into the image of Jesus. We want to be conformed into the image of Jesus. We want to be like Him. We want to be followers of Him so that we become effective and purposeful and useful. Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is a sermon on the mountain, it's His first public teaching. He's introducing people to His kingdom rules. And first, He, he changed all the kingdom values and He talks about the Beatitudes, right? Changes the way we think things are and turns them on their head. And then he goes into this in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He calls his followers to be salt and light. We are called to be salt and light in the world. We are called to be effective and useful. And, and it's not salt. Again, this is one of those things we twist all the time. We take salt. I want to be salt, and so I'm going to be like a salt gun that shoots bugs, right? I'm going to be useful and, and kill things, right? I'm going to be salt that packs a wound. That, have you ever got salt in a wound? That is not an experience that you want to have. I mean, no, what, what are we called to do? We're called to be salt that preserves and adds flavor and makes things better. We're called to be light. We're called to be light of the world. Not, not a spotlight, a searchlight, an interrogation light, right? Shining somebody in the eyes like, this is the truth, I need the truth. No, what are we called to be? We're called to be light in a room that brings light and makes a, a room useful, right? We can turn all the lights off in this room, and that little bit of light is going to make this place safer for all of us. That's what we're called to be as followers of Jesus. We're called to be effective and useful. In God's kingdom, we do things different. 
Jesus is light of the world, and we're simply called to reflect it. And so we add to our faith all of these things. And what are these things when they're added to our faith? As we learn to walk with Jesus, we learn to walk in obedience, and we learn to conform to the image of Jesus, we get better and better at reflecting Him. Right? There's all these things in my life that don't measure up, that don't match Jesus, and as, as God slowly chips them away, as I learn more about who He is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I realize, man, this can't be a part of me anymore. This selfishness in me, man, this, this does not reflect Jesus. This pride in me doesn't reflect Jesus. This temper that I have doesn't reflect Jesus. And God starts to chip those things away. It's like a mirror that's covered in grime. There's this process of polishing, of removing the grime. And, it, and it's not a one-time thing, right? It's not this, I've got my life together. I go through this checklist, right? Oh, I've got the goodness down onto humility. Yep, got that down. I'm perfect. Right? No, it's, it's this continual process of walking with Jesus, of learning to be obedient and submit to Him. Why? So that I reflect Jesus in the world around me. How's your workplace? How's your neighborhood? Is it better because you're there? As followers of Jesus, salt and light... Your workplace should be better because you're there. Your neighborhood should be better because you're there. And not because it's like, hey, I'm here, everybody be happy. You're lucky that I'm your neighbor, you can live next to me. No, it's, our neighbor should look at it like, man, you know what? My neighbor, like, he cares for us. He's patient when I drive over his flowers. I don't know. That didn't happen to me, I don't know, but, right? Hey, he's kind, he's thoughtful, right? This neighborhood is better because there's these followers of Jesus who live in our neighborhood, right? They're not banging on my door constantly telling me how I'm wrong and how I need to change my life. No, they just love me. My coworkers, right? My coworkers should be like, man, working here is better because this person's here. They're in my life. They bring light into my life. They bring salt. They, they make it better. Is your neighborhood better because you're there? Is your workplace going to be better this week because you're there? That's what it means for us to follow Jesus, to add to our faith. Not so that we become better, but so we reflect Jesus and we're effective. So when you screw up, because you will, I will too, right? When you fail to reflect Jesus, because we will, what do we do? We have to remember grace. We can look back to Peter's story and all the other stories in the Bible of, of people who failed time and time again. Because the Bible is a collection of stories of fallen people who failed in Jesus. And so when we fail, when we humbly repent, right? When we confess to one another, like, man, I am sorry I screwed up. I shouldn't have treated you that way. When we do that, we paint a picture for the world of the goodness of God, of the hope of the gospel, that it's not about being perfect, but it's about chasing after Jesus. When we screw up, 
when we receive grace, we show that it's not something that we earn, but it's all about Jesus. And we get to demonstrate that again and again to the world around us. Jesus stepped into our world and he did what we couldn't do. And he rescued us. And as followers of Jesus, we get to, to live out the gospel. Screwing up, failing, but learning to take another step of obedience. When we honestly admit that we're not perfect, that we're not a church full of perfect people, but we're a bunch of sinners who have been saved by grace, who are chasing after Jesus, and we extend grace to one another. We get to live life together, pointing out each other's faults gently and kindly in relationship, right? We get to encourage one another. We get to help each other walk together, chasing after Jesus. That's what we want to be as a church, people who follow Jesus and point the world to Jesus and the hope that we have found. That's what it means to be ready. People who recognize, man, I need a do-over. I need a redo. The good news of the gospel is that God extends grace to us. And we get a chase after him together. Not as perfect people, but as fallen sinners who have found the hope of the world. When you stand, let's pray as we wrap up our time together. God, we thank you that it's not about us. As we're reminded with Peter's story, and even as he writes to encourage us, that, that we have all we need because of who you are. But God, as we understand that, help us to walk in obedience. Help us to take another step of obedience as we seek to, to be conformed into your image. Help us to reflect you to the world around us. God, I don't know what the next step is that people need to take. Maybe it's, maybe it's recognizing that you are the hope that they've been looking for. Maybe there's some people here watching online that, that just need to acknowledge that you are who you say you are. And they need to surrender to you. Or maybe, maybe it's somebody who just needs to, to, to take another step of obedience. Maybe it's to confess an area that we've failed. God, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help us to follow you. That we would reflect you. And point people to the hope that we have in you. We ask this in your name. Amen.